Hi guys, Andrew Dowling here, Mitch Kurtz, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Ultimate Podcast. Make sure to hit like and subscribe to stay up to date with all that we have coming. All things Ultimate? Yeah, that too. Okay. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back for another episode of the AltMed Podcast. Andrew Dowling here with me as always, my co-host Mitch Kurtz. How you doing, Mitch? G'day. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're looking fresh. <laughs> um, and very excited to have our guest on today. It is Lauren Williams, who is a registered nurse. She specializes in medical cannabis and, and has spent a lot of time working with chronic diseases. She's currently working with our mate, Dr. Jamie Record at Ananda Clinics. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on. Um, I know we've got a little bit to get through, but maybe as we always do with our guests, if we could kick off just getting you to give us a bit of background about your journey to date as a nurse and how you kind of fell into working with medical cannabis. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess I started, sort of went straight out of uni, uh, straight into chronic disease management. So um, in my background, I, I even worked reception in general practice, and then I moved into nursing in general practice, uh, did a lot of the chronic disease management side of things there, did a lot of the district hospital in the home stuff as well, but that kind of tied in together with the chronic disease management. Um, so yeah, did a lot of the care planning and looking at the whole sort of picture as such. Um, and then, yeah, I always had a bit of an interest in natural therapies. Um, I was always quite interested in medicinal cannabis, um, have a bit of my own story as well with the, with the history and, and chronic disease and using medicinal cannabis as if such. If I can uh, jump in there, I am mm. totally at your discretion here, but yeah, mm. your story, because I, I, I love hearing people's stories with their own experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, mine's uh, endometriosis. Um, I think hopefully people should know what that is by now, but it's not a uh, very chronic, painful, reproductive um, sort of condition as such. Um, had it from a very young age. I used to have a box of medicines pretty much this big uh, that I used to use sort of all the time. Um, a lot of them came with their own side effects as well, you know, and very much was affecting my quality of life. Um, and I, yeah, I remember I went on a holiday to Canada and I had packed a big box, packed my box that I carried with everywhere um, and took it over to Canada. And I went over there and I somehow sort of ended up in this situation where I, I met somebody who actually worked in a dispensary in Canada. And this was just after legalization. So, you know, everything was just flowing and it was great and I, I just walked into this dispensary and you know my friend that I'd made I, I discussed with him a bit of my stuff and he just was like have you tried CBD you know have you, have you tried these nano emulsions you know these oils like introduced me to different chemovars and different types of cannabis that can be used for different things and I just walked in and this whole world just kind of opened up and I sort of was like what am I doing mm. what are we doing in Australia yeah. what's and the Australian like, government doing yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah, definitely. And sort of how how much this would help my patients and, and all of the chronic systemic suffering that we see. And so, yeah, I kind of found myself in there and just, yeah, eyes open. Um, and then I came back to Australia and I was like, right, like I've got to help other people. It massively helped me um, and I've got to, you know, get my teeth into this and, and you know, try to do some good. So I started sort of self-studying for two years while I was still working as a nurse. I found it really hard to find curriculum of even 
how to learn about cannabis medicine here in Australia. You know, I, I just had to kind of dig myself and, and find some things and, um, yeah, and then I started sort of doing some networking and, and went to a few events and things and I met some great people and finally got my feet into the industry. So, yeah, and I've been sort of, I was lucky to get straight into quite a few consults, like straight off the bat and did that for about a year and a half and sort of now I'm here, now I am. That's awesome. And you've got like, yeah, just now thinking about, I guess, still how relatively young our industry is. I mean, you you would possibly be one of the more experienced nurses having, you know, been in the field for a few years now working with it. Um, yeah. I mean, talk to me maybe first, just because chronic disease is what you kind of first encountered. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, a lot of people have now heard um, stories about people who have been able to um, get relief through medical cannabis, but yeah, I'm just interested. So some of the stories that, that you observed, what are kind of, I mean, is there a kind of sense with these people of helplessness? Like I'm just never going to, is it just a, for them about trying to get to a stable quality of life, knowing that they have, they sort of given up on actually living a good quality of your life? Like, how do you see that? Yeah, I think that is a massive aspect of chronic disease, you know, living with that thoughts and those, those feelings of, am I going to feel this way forever? You know, is this going to get better? That That is a huge component of it. And then, you know, the disease itself, you know, you can have a diagnosis, but how that person suffers and how that diagnosis affects every different person is so different. And sometimes that is not a fix-all with standard first-line medications. Sometimes they don't cover it and sometimes things aren't working and they get to that point where nothing's working anymore What and they just have that sense of hopelessness for sure. Um, and that's why I do love that, you know, medicinal cannabis is an option. Um, I don't know if it should be a last option mm. um, as such, but um, that's that's where we are at the moment. But, yeah, I love that that's available and it's an extra tool. Even if it's not, you know, I, I like to manage expectations. We like to be realistic. And even if it's not, you know, the one fix all of it, can we help those ailments of the disease itself? Because if we can eradicate them, maybe we can eradicate, you know, 70% of the suffering. And for a lot of people, that is very, very good goal or very, yeah, would be amazing to achieve. Yeah, well, and I suppose as well, you know, and this is a different part of, of you know, seeing that like we've talked about chronic disease, but there's also now more and more people who I think, are coming to medical cannabis they might not have lived with a, a condition for so long but they're realizing that that is available now um mm. and you know maybe it's just sleep disturbance or um mm. a bit of anxiety that sort of thing and getting people to actually and they're, they're cannabis users a lot of them and they like but they've used it recreationally you know personally mm. that getting them to change their thinking to say actually treat this as a medicine Mm. what's that like do you, do you see these types of patients yeah yeah definitely and I I mean I do like to work with there's always sort of two sides of it I mean these people and they have used cannabis for such a long time and actually for a long part of that time they have you know been shamed for it been stigmatized for it they've had to hide it they've not been able to have open conversations about that and they've not been able to have open conversations about how cannabis has helped them so I guess you do get sometimes a natural reluctance as such to take on advice and to be able to, and they sort of like, I, it's my poor grams a day flower and that's what I want. 
And it's like, okay, like I understand that, but do you know this? There's there's so much more as a medical picture that we can break down and balancing that endocannabinoid system, you know, raising the awareness that we do have an endocannabinoid system in our bodies and creating that balance, you know, that's the ultimate goal. And sometimes you will see that reluctance and there will be some people, you know, they have the right to advocate for their own treatment, don't get me wrong, but they also need to make informed decisions. So do you know that if you use an oil, you know, four times a day or you use this to bring up the baseline of your condition, you know, use your flower for your peaks and spikes, manage this holistically, you know, Mm. having those conversations are really important so that, yeah, people are actually making informed, educated decisions. Um, and also opening up that channel for that conversation and making sure that they feel comfortable enough to do that. Um, it can be a challenge, but I definitely think that it's worth it. And I think that it's our responsibility for, to help these people. Yeah. So, so, so what does medical cannabis help with then in your experience? Do you have any good anecdotes or, or patient, you know, obviously anonymized examples of, of the kinds mm. of things that, that one might expect you know, mm. maybe for people who have never been to a consult or maybe even for people who have had consults or have been recreational users or a plethora of different scenarios where they haven't maybe maximised what's available um, for yeah. their condition. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there's, there's quite a few, like, I mean, there's endless really, but I guess if two that kind of like would pop to mind as such, um, we would even have like a teenager, a teenage young young male teenager, you know, he'd, he'd been using cannabis for quite some time. He'd been just smoking a lot day after day after day. And his parents kind of were like, okay, we'll be doing it. Like, let's get you on board and, and let's get you medically. And um, then, yeah, his parents kind of called and they said, oh, something's wrong with him. Something's wrong with him. And we said, oh, what's that? And he goes, well, now he's, you know, using his oils, he's, he's using his vaporizer, he's, he's doing it like how he was taught. He's actually gone and he's, he's got a job. You know, this, this, this poor guy has gone from not even wanting to get out of bed to now he's, he's getting a job. He's contributing with society. You know, he's socializing with his friends. And that's, that's the real goal as such. Um, it's just really creating, you know, happy, well-balanced people. And then you get all the great, like, heartwarming children's stories. I love those. Like, we'll have, um, like, even, like, children that are quite on the spectrum and they're not sort of engaging in terms of, like, their school. They're not talking. And you'll get mums that will call you and they'll say, like, they're crying and they'll say, oh, he's able to, you know, write some words down now. You know, he says his name. He's engaging. He's social. And then there's so many more kind of layers to that social aspect as well that, will just help with that growth and development so i love those stories um lots of grandies like being able to play with their grandies again like grandparents being able to play with those um they're really fun isn't it like it's 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 not to be underestimated how profound this is like we heard we heard about this especially with say uh, children on the spectrum this very interesting um uh, kind of anecdote from a, a doctor talking about how you'd have children who weren't just responding to being asked questions, but actually now engaging in conversation mm-hmm. themselves. And that, that might seem like a very small thing to some people, but 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 massive when you're dealing with with those types of patients um, in day to day. Yeah, massively. Like being able to, you know, show more personality. You know, parents being able to reconnect with their children better because they're they're seeing more of their personalities and things like that. Like, don't get me wrong. Again, we, we always have to say, you know, it's it's not it's not the one size fits all for everybody. We don't want to be out there sort of like hugging its false hope and all that sort of stuff. But if we're seeing this now with the limited amount that we have, 
how much sort of opportunity is there if we actually were able to, you know, research and provide these parents with some good solid evidence so that they can work with their doctors so that they can have that option to try without feeling scared about it, you know, at least being able to be informed and have that doctor supporting them through that. You know, if we can advance it there and actually have so many people working together, I, I think that we would even see better results. Yeah, and I have to just jump in. It's controversial yeah. and you know, I, I just I have to say I find that the medical establishment has, I think, too strongly spoken mm-hmm. down, yeah. you know, to, to medical cannabis. I mean, you know, we get fixated or the medical establishment gets fixated on, you know, is it approved or is it unapproved? And all these medical cannabis products are unapproved. Well, you know, one only needs to go back in the last hundred years or so and look at all of the you know, class actions and other actions that were taken against pharmaceutical manufacturers, they were all quote unquote approved products, right? Like just because it gets a tick from a particular regulatory authority, it it doesn't really mean that it doesn't have adverse events and all those sorts of things. So Mm. I don't know, it's got a, for me, cannabis has got a very low um, risk and, and harm it's actually so, cbd as well like cbd on its own like an isolate what is it you can drink the whole bottle and you probably just get diarrhea <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and well it depends on the carrier oil right like <laughs> yeah exactly yeah don't um, do that <laughs> so just curiously I, I think off the back of that i'm really there's something i actually wanted to ask you is about um you know you read about this a little bit on say reddit or uh, you know some of the other forums let's say but there's a lot of people that don't fully understand the the nuance between the the nurse and doctor uh, element of the consults. And sometimes, mm. you know, depending on which clinic you go to, you might speak to a doctor and other ones you might speak to a nurse. And sometimes I think there's a lot of confusion around the collaboration between the nurse and doctor relationship. Are you able to shed any light on that, especially, you know, with the rise of, let's say, telehealth clinics where people aren't actually having that consult face-to-face? Yeah. Um, what what that relationship looks like and, and how that works from the patient's perspective. Yeah, yeah. I think there's always sort of a different relationship with a nurse to a doctor. That's always going to be present. But I think just sort of like outlining the positives of the nurses, you know, those nurses, they are the people that have sat by the bedsides once the doctor's gone and left. And they have, they're the person who's, you know, supported that patient while they're in that bed. They've learned about, you know, the aspects of, how their condition affects them. They've learned about their families. They've learned about their lifestyles. They've learned about their jobs, how that chronic condition adversely affects them. And they kind of understand that. And I think they're able to apply that sort of extra level of empathy and understanding with the patient and just giving that patient a safe space as well. A lot of these patients, by the time they get to us, you know, they're at their last line. This is their last hope. And being able to talk about that and get a lot of that off their chest, you know, educate them that's that's a massive thing educate them educate them around how to have conversations with their family about them using medicinal cannabis helping to undo a lot of that shame that they probably might be feeling for accessing it you know because we've endured 100 years of that um that's kind of where that nurse can come in really important just providing that extra support and also just yeah really understanding as a whole picture how it's affecting them and then you target your treatment sort of based on that what what are the symptoms how are you suffering sort of and we just have that little bit of extra time to give that bit of guidance and give that sort of listening ear as such and I think it's a really important part because you know doctors are really busy and the way that the medical system is you know in terms of 
all the funding, all that sort of the finances and stuff, it's quite hard. You know, Joppa's got 20 years of study usually and uni fees that they need to make up for. And they sometimes they don't have the time. They've got so many patients. So uh-huh. having that nurse-doctor duo sometimes, you can just provide that extra level of you know, real person-centred care. And that's why I really like that, you know, we can all work together to achieve that. Interesting. I also speaking of what you just said at the end there, personal mm-hmm. care. How what what does that actually mean? Because I mean, we know that people have different genetic makeups. Is, is mm-hmm. it really tailoring to to that, or is it tailoring to, or is it also the fact that medical cannabis itself can be quite different um, at the same time as people are different? So is the medicine. Whereas usually in traditional medicine, let's say for ease of example, paracetamol, you're only really dealing with one compound there. And although some people may have slightly different effects, you can always count on the input being the same. Whereas in cannabis, you've got, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of chemicals, um, Mm. whether that's cannabinoids, terpenes. It's like one complex biological system meeting another. Yeah. 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 Well said. So yeah. how, how does that actually translate to, to personalised care in, in the clinical sense? Yeah, definitely. I think once you understand the condition in terms of, because one person who would have, you know, say epilepsy compared to somebody who has very chronic pain, you know, they're going to experience things quite differently. And understanding those symptoms, how they're experiencing those symptoms, and then the tailoring, it's, it's understanding the medicine, you know, oils, long-acting flower two to four hours you know those peaks those spikes understanding chronic symptoms acute symptoms like sitting and listening and and figuring that out is sort of number one in terms of trying to figure out how they're suffering and applying that to the medicine and then once you kind of have been doing it quite a while you start to see patterns of specific strains or specific oils or dosing that that sort of works similar for I guess, interchangeable symptoms. And you can make recommendations based on that once you start. And also once you study that terpene profile and you really break it down as well and you familiarize with yourself with the terpenes, being able to educate, this is what we're this is what we're trying to do. This based on what we've got, this is what we're trying to do. And then also if that the great thing about cannabis, if that doesn't work, if you don't fit that box that we usually see, we do have options C and D to try, you know. Don't get me wrong, we just not going to smoke for everybody, but at least we've got options and understanding the different compounds, understanding the different methods of administration as a practitioner, and then being able to relate that to the overall symptoms that that person's experiencing. I think that's sort of that triangle that needs to be completed. Um, yeah, does that sort of make sense in terms of overall? Totally. I, I'm, yeah. I've got a question actually for you about just given the broad range of, of patients that you see, I it, it sort of it got me thinking that we still have stigma and, you know, people my age generally that I would know who have gone and been prescribed medical cannabis are almost like proud of it. Like they get social status and say, you know, mm. oh yeah, I've got my CBD oil, I've got my flour or something. Mm. But I imagine there's a whole cohort of people who, you know, from maybe an older generation, a little bit more conservative in their background, and yeah, cannabis is is helping them potentially, but yeah. they're a little bit almost like embarrassed or ashamed. Is, is that a yeah. thing that you? Yeah, yeah, definitely, okay. definitely. You know, and 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 working through that with them is is a big part of our job. You know, they do have a lot of misconceptions and and things that have been sort of passed down 
through, I guess, prohibition. And just it's so taboo to even talk about it and to be able to have those conversations and and being able to educate them on dosing, you know, now it's medical. We can dose. We can we can use really small doses. You're using a drop of a 10 milligram. You're having 0.5 of a milligram. It's like if you have one glass of wine or you it's gonna affect you a lot differently to having a whole 20 bottles of wine. So trying to kind of explain it in that way, you know, we can control the dosing and it's a lot different to what you've heard about people just going and smoking and not following the guidelines and just doing it because, and don't get me wrong, those people, they've probably done that because we haven't been able to see this medical model before. And that's what's really exciting about it is we now have the opportunity to dose medically and use medically and it's so important for us to focus on that and to utilize the research and the things that we do have to get cannabis recognized as a medicine. If we're going to use it as a medicine, we need to treat it like one and we need to yeah. talk about it like it is one. And, and that's how we're going to undo those 90 years of what we've just kind of well, now we need to kind yeah. of shit. I couldn't yeah. agree more. And I just find it truly incomprehensible almost that where we are right now, there will there are definitely people out there who even when they've gone to their doctor and their doctor is say an authorized prescriber or something and says, Hey, you actually might benefit from trying a CBD oil. And they're just like, no, 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 I, I, I don't touch cannabis. I, I not even as, even if you're telling me it's a medicine or something like I just, I am ideologically opposed to that mm. plant. Mm. I will not take it. Like that there, there are people out there I, I've, mm. I've from some doctors that I've spoken to, but it's, it's just, that's the extent of the stigma it's crazy it's preventing yeah. people from actually like potentially finding something that that may help them but yeah yeah and i think there's also even and, and when i first started this industry because i'm like so passionate so far it kind of gets me in trouble sometimes but like that was something i sort of struggled with when i first started is experiencing that shame and that stigma but as i've kind of gone on and i've had more of those conversations it's actually kind of nice to almost drop that back for a second and actually understand a lot of those these people who have those really strong concepts, not only is it shame and stigma, some people have their personal experiences and things like that. You know, they had a parent who misused or overused and then they suffered from that as such. And then, again, education, you know. We have oils that are tested. They are regulated. We know how much we're dosing. We can use them in small yeah. amounts. We can, you know, buffer psychoactivity with CBD, like those sort of things. And being able to just have those conversations without, getting it's it can be challenging if you are really passionate about something but I feel like those conversations need to be had um and providing a safe space to be able to like talk with people through that I've that's something I've kind of started to work on myself like with friends and things like that it's just kind of understanding where they're coming from but then also providing them with the education so that they can actually make again and like an informed sort of judgment on it yeah absolutely yeah um are you got a question Mitch well, yeah, I was just going to ask, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, making decisions from a clinician's perspective, and that would obviously filter down to, you know, as a nurse trying to provide direction to a patient, yeah. how important is is clinical evidence in what you do in terms, like, there's obviously arguably a, 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 quite a lack of clinical evidence in the in the from the TGA perspective in terms of listing these products as an ARTG listed product, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, but 
there's enough anecdotal evidence to, you know, fill several 30,000 or something. Someone yeah. threw out the other day, 30,000 papers or something. And yeah. Uh, usually have got five or 10,000 or something like and that. And there's heaps yeah. of like people just down the street yelling things across the road that say <laughs> cannabis is great as well. But there's like, there's, yeah, there's just actually just on that. Um, I just have to <laughs> give a bit of a plug actually to the TGA. They've, they've put up these portals, which have just, you know, basically a visual data dashboard of you know all of the sas a sas b and authorized prescriber data and, and numbers and it, it is just you can just see the trajectory i mean australia has mm. very very much embraced medical cannabis mm. so we're kind of getting to a point now where it's like yeah, yeah. if you're ignoring anecdotal evidence from a group right. of people that big it's You're exhausting. Yeah, well, we, we had we had a guest, Bonnie Goldstein, on, who's a very you know famous doctor from the US, and she talks about how she looks at the emerging clinical literature, and mm. then she starts testing kind of with patients, um, mm. you know, maybe giving them not just CBD, but maybe CBDV or THCA or CBG mm. in different in different ratios based on the, the literature That's that awesome. she reads. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious where we're at in Australia with clinical literature and the approach you know that you've seen within the clinics. I guess um, we we try to aim to look at it as much as possible. It's definitely, and we always will try to prescribe based on clinical evidence. But when you've kind of like last year, I would do 70, 80 consults a week. And I kind of got to the point where it's like, you know, but don't get me wrong, isolating the minors and that different level, level of complexity, I think we need to get there. I think that's definitely an aim um, for myself. I would love to be able to do that. But at the moment, we don't even have those products. So it's not even, you know, that's not even an option. We don't really have isolated minors. I think one maybe is about to be brought out. But you've kind of, at the moment, we're kind of sticking in that isolate broad, full sort of. But if you understand the pathophysiology of the condition and you understand the endocannabinoid system, that's where you use that clinical evidence because you know that, say, CBD is working on the TRBP1 receptors, which is your inflammatory receptors. So when you think of an inflammatory condition, you relate it back to that clinical literature that we have of the specific type that's working on what part of the body. So I guess that's how I practice as such. Um, in terms of, and like I said, I work with doctors. Um, so Dr. Jamie, he's very on top of all of the clinical literature. So if there's ever something that's a, like a gray area, I know that he's got it covered. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of prescribing. because I'm not He's a machine. Groups. Yeah, he is. He is he's, he's, so I know that he's all over that in terms of the research and everything. But I would like it to be more accessible because there's actually probably something that I've almost struggled with in the past is finding that evidence. You almost have to sift through so much of it. And it's kind of like, where am I finding it? And then you're so busy with like so many patients and everything as well. You kind of, that would be really, really awesome to see a lot of people stepping up and making those more readily available for clinicians to be able to use. Like we do use them, but we use them on base knowledge. But yeah, if we can start proving isolating minors and treating conditions based on that, you know, that's just going to add a whole nother level. Mm, definitely. Okay. That's interesting to know. Um, mm, tricky though. I think, yeah, the clinical evidence stuff is a bit, tricky yeah no that's why i i think it was in canada maybe five years ago they did a, a study of something like oh sorry they combined the the research findings like a meta-analysis of something like ten thousand research papers um mm. 
and sort of weighted them in terms of, you know, I guess what was the the trial, the, you know, what was the procedure that was used in that trial? You know, was it the gold standard, you know, double blind randomized control or was it, you know, just a, an anecdotal qualitative evidence gathering? But in any case, they were able to kind of look, having that broader, let's look at all the evidence, you know, through a single lens and and see what what actually are themes that emerge from that. I think, mm. and and that was actually where, um, you know, the first sort of fairly solid finding that CBD could actually help people with pain. I know that won't be, mm. you know, a, a news to a lot of people, but yeah, something like that is pro- we're probably overdue for another one because there has been a proliferation of research. Particularly, I think it's hard because everybody responds differently as well. I think that's yeah. what makes it quite complex. So it's sort of like it's it's great to have something on paper, don't get me wrong, like just proving what we know. Mm. But the thing is, so many people respond so differently to so many different things. And it's sort of just working along, going on that journey and finding that journey. You know, this is what we, we start with because this is what we know. And again, once you know that ECS and you know the symptoms, you just follow that and you use that to guide you. It's just yeah. understanding the ECS, understanding the pathophys of it. And then, yes, you've got the clinical evidence there to like back it up. But it then again, that makes it hard because everyone responds so differently. And then you have to trial, you know, different. And then the product consistency as well. That's a whole nother hurdle of things that we look at. We can, you know, yeah. we need that. We need those quality products. We need them to be like, top notch and yeah that's where it kind of becomes tricky to take off paper yeah like upstream for a producer's side you know you need stabilized genetics so that you're getting consistent Mm -hmm. batches and you know be it for just dried flour or be it for manufacturing so Mm -hmm. yeah you're you're absolutely right like consistency is the key but i i don't expect to be able to do a huge deep dive on this but i'm just kind of interested when we talk about the ECS and the mm. cannabis, uh, sorry, the ECS cannabinoid receptors, CB1, CB2. And I think you mentioned just sort of in passing the relationship between understanding that coupled with the pathophysiology of mm. a person's given medical condition. Mm. Maybe give me an example of like where you can, once somebody is properly diagnosed, you can sort of realize, well, we're going to be working with say these receptors in this part of the body to stimulate you know that process of of trying to to bring that person into balance is that kind of your approach to it or is that more in jamie's wheelhouse like what, what's your yeah yeah J- jamie is so great to learn off in terms of his the way that he looks at things uh because i've sort of gone from one type to to jamie's type and then jamie's type just kind of wraps it all up with a nice little ribbon bow because he really has that understanding yeah. But in general, you you know that some things respond better to others. So you generally will know that, you know, working on the CBD and the anti-inflammatories or the regulation and creating that regulation through regulating that anandamide if you've got chronic consistent symptoms. So think asking questions like when you can't sleep at night, is it because you've got racing thoughts or is it because, you know, you're having like an acute panic attack? Like, things like that and then you kind of after a while you're sort of like okay well what generally calms the racing thoughts side of things and you're like generally that's more the cbd because we're working on that consistent level of that stabilization of that anandamide and then that is kind of 
creating almost like a consistent behavior because if you're used to going to bed at night and you're always, you know, got that really active brain and you're always really thinking, if we can create regulation, those patterns become less prominent and then we can see changes overall. I know that doesn't really relate with. No, no, it does. It's like, it's, it's you're like physiological state is not heightened. It's not stress. You're not breathing heavily. You're, you're calm and you're, it's, it all folds into, you know, at least being able to end the day really in a good tranquil state to be able to just nod off nice and easily. So no, that, that completely makes sense to me. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing with the ECS. We're still learning that as well, because we know about anandamide. We know that there's two AG there, but sort of working on, and this is where Jamie's again, like really on top of that research side of things is working on what's working on the two AG. How are we doing that? Are we directly stimulating those C1s, those C2s? How are we working on that? So the more evidence and the more research that we have in terms of that, that's where we're going to be able to really see the difference. Um, And hopefully a lot of companies are starting to work more on that and focusing on, yeah, really specific conditions and specific pathways. And that's where we kind of need to dive in because we know the basics in terms of regulating the antibiotic and that working on nervous system and inflammation and then, yeah, we know that THC directly stimulates them. So then we, but then you've got to take the patient. You've got to take the patient. How are they suffering? Do they need regulation? Do they need a little bit of the, do they need the direct stimulation? And sometimes you don't work that out until a bit of trial, first line, second line, third line. And that's why there's a lot of people you know, they'll, they'll go for their medical cannabis consult and say they've got anxiety and then straight away, here's four grams a day of flour. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what are we doing there? What are, what are we even trying to follow there? That's not that's not good medical prescribing, you know. We, we need to regulate. We need to, what are your symptoms? How does it exacerbate for you? How can we regulate that? And then if we don't create re- regulation, do we then need to directly stimulate as such? So that's kind of how, yeah, you can kind of you gauge that after a while, but you have to, every patient again is so different and how they experience things. So yeah. When when I when I hear you say that, when you say, okay, patient comes in with anxiety and leaves with a bunch of THC flour, yeah. it, it sounds um it sounds, you know, akin to this kind of I don't want to say not very well, well talked about. It is talked about, but this underlying thought that there is this recreational market kind of moving into the the the, the medical market, and it's maybe akin to the the California uh, situation where you had people figuring out what to say in order to get their scripts. Mm. Um, I don't think anxiety is the right one if you want flour, but in saying that, um, I don't know. Some, <laughs> yeah, some companies don't want to. But, um, <laughs> but but how do you manage that from a from a, a nurse perspective at a clinic? Like, do you, do you see the the recreational market come in? Do you hear about people you know coming from the black market? Um, what what is how do you feel about that as a nurse? How do the doctors feel about that? Is it a problem yeah. or are they? kind of happier even if they're not maybe a genuine patient I mean, you probably can't answer that but like to, to move them to something that's a bit more uh at least they know what they're getting kind of thing or i'm just curious what, how, how that sits in from the clinic side yeah no it's it's definitely difficult it's it's probably one of the most difficult things that you can face as a nurse um again there is a few layers to it in terms of they've been using it for a while they know that it helps them but if you're coming to a medical source and you're coming from medical recommendations 
and you have sort of complete refusal as such to follow them, where's our duty of care then to make sure that we are giving good clinical care? And that's the thing, you know, we in 10 years' time, if the TGA come and, and they say, well, we, we gave you all these studies and we said, you know, CBD is generally a first line for anxiety, use your flour for the breakthrough, but what we've gone and done is we've gone and given everyone four grams a day flour and just gone straight with that, mm. what's that going to do for cannabis getting recognised as a medicine in the future? And who are the people that are going to suffer for that? And I think that patients who may be recreational using the medical place to access their cannabis thinking about if they love this plant and we love this plant and what we're going to do for it why we need to work with the tga and we need to work with our recommendations and with our research and so that we can get recognized as a medicine you know that's sort of because the people yeah that are going to suffer for it are again kids with epilepsy and and you know those those cancer patients those chronic pain patients and Mm. i understand that some people you know maybe if they're using it recreationally, but they've got some sort of like underlying something that they're also treating with it, like yeah. that's okay. We can help you with that and we can have that conversation. But when you endure like the abusive side of that patient, when you're as a nurse got a medical obligation to educate and prescribe properly and follow what we should be doing, that gets frustrating for sure. And it can get quite tedious because, yeah, it's just like, we, we're here as medical professionals. We want to help all these chronically very sick people. If you are using to use, like wanting to use cannabis recreationally, that's there's plenty of other channels for that. You know, we don't need to convolute all of our data. We don't need to convolute all our prescribing. But then again, you know, I think that's our responsibility as clinicians and as companies to do the right thing and to have that really decent screening process and have that those standards and those education of you know no these are this is medical this is microdosing this is how we do it we use oils we use oils and flour and if the patient doesn't want to take the medical advice you know where where do you go from there Um, if you don't mind i'm going to go devil's advocate for a second lauren because i i agree generally with that suppose my only comment would be and i agree like i agree definitely with the point that that recreational user that's accessing the medical model just to get flour dilutes yeah. you know the data and the yeah. work of the medical model totally agree with that yeah but at the same time the quality which is a total question mark in terms of both you know cultivar potency of active cannabinoids they're not going they're not going to necessarily know that from what they access in the black market um so in a way whilst i'm not advocating for it i definitely think it's a you know at least people can better understand what they're having it's almost like you know the difference between moonshine and an actual alcohol and people being able yeah. to read a label and find out what it is that they're, they're actually drinking so i suppose mm. that's the other side of it as well is just you know patients having being able to know what what they're taking um but yeah certainly i i have you hear about practices of you know all sorts of irresponsible you know types of behavior that go on and it's actually on both sides so you know there's the patients that doctor shop in order to get as much cannabis as they can and then there's you know very liberal prescribers that seem to not bat an eyelid at prescribing someone yeah 
four and above grams a day, you know. So, yeah, I think that we need to rein that in. That that those 100%. sorts of practices need to be reined in for sure. Hundred percent, it is because again, if it's if it's a medicine, we need to treat it like one. And yeah. I, yeah, I do think that as the I don't think that anybody should be ingesting any substances that they sort of don't know where they come from as such. But at the same time, is that worth convoluting a potential plant that could be medicinally very helpful for a lot of people? But it's not linear either. It's really not. Like recreational, medical, if there's something underlying, yeah, that's not being sort of helped, that it is helping with, I think there is... But I think that's where it comes down to us and just being like, yeah, well, we don't have a recreational market. That's at the end of the day, yeah. we don't have a recreational market. We have a medicinal market and that's what we're doing and that's what we are supposed to be doing. Yeah. And if we want to be going for recreational cannabis, that's somebody else's, that's like a whole different thing. I just am like sort of like blinkers on, like we yeah. have bigger things. We have a lot of sick people that we need to help and I'm sorry that, like, that is something that, you know. That there's there's also, there's something in between, right? Like, there's the, yeah. there's medical, there's rec, and then there's kind of well-being in between, yeah. which is, you know, where I, I was. Um, my, Radical. My <laughs> twin, twin brother lives in uh, in France. I was visiting him in earlier this year, and he, um, yeah, he, he was just pointing out everywhere we went, you know, it's so easy to access CBD oils in mm. Europe and they're all really positioned in that way where it's, it's you know, next to your supplement. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish that that was the case here. I really wish it was. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, the people that are trying to do the right thing here are getting sort of over suffocated by some that maybe are not. And it's I'm going to say... Getting- not not even maybe or not they're just yeah like (laughs) and then there's the people that are trying to do the right thing and then if again are we going to undo the work that we've done because i don't want to walk down the street in five years time or a couple of years time and someone say oh i work in medicinal cannabis and they say oh is that where you can just call up and get whatever whatever bud you want like because that just undoes all of the good work that we've done and all of the good work we see and that's systemically again if somebody hears that and they see that someone who's considering medicinal cannabis and is now sees it as a place, a channel that you just use to go get whatever you want. Mm. But this is what's happened. This is, this happened. um, We talked with Bonnie Goldstein about, um, I can't remember proposal, something, I can't remember the number, but that was the Californian law that when passed in 1996 really opened up this idea of, you know, once you can just get a green card, you Mm. are good to go. And, So I feel just inevitably what has happened. 64? Yeah, something like that. And they, you know, the rec market moves in and it's once it the deluge begins, it's it's difficult to um to rein it in necessarily. But I think there will always be, you know, a medical market where you have clinical trials being done and people really focusing on just trying to you know, mm. pioneer medical treatments with well, there still is there still is in America and there still is in Canada a medical market. I mean, I'm I'm in two minds about this because I absolutely agree with you um about that medical side of things. But at the same time, I mean I, I would personally be in favor of legalizing cannabis, generally mm. speaking. So like 
in a way, it's almost like a stepping stone to getting there, I think, or at least it wasn't California, let's say, and, and I feel like it could be the same thing here. But um, so you've got on the one hand, absolutely, the medical model is it should be respected for what it is and not used in a way which it shouldn't. But at the same time, if it kind of helps us get to that next stage where there is both a, a legal market and a medical market that live in harmony, um, then I'm kind of for that at the same yeah, time. So. No, I agree. I, I do think like that people should have that access and they should have the access to the quality products, definitely. Mm. But yeah, it just makes it hard when there's people that are really trying to do the right thing for the medical side. Absolutely. There's some people that aren't. It just becomes a little bit too unclear and it just undoes a lot for when the rec gets involved in the medical side. Mm, I guess it's all one big picture as such, but you know what I mean? If we, I just I, really I want to focus on making sure that people see medicinal cannabis as medicinal. Like, yeah. I just think that that's so important um, because we need to, we need people to understand, like someone goes, can cannabis help with pain? Like that's where people still are thinking. Like we're, we're very blessed because we work in this industry and, you know, we've seen it firsthand, but you can go and speak to anyone and they'll just say, oh, does, does medicinal cannabis, you know, help with anxiety like they just generally have no idea and yeah. and then I just don't want them thinking oh medicinal cannabis is just smoking weed and getting high I just really don't want the potential people that it could really help thinking that mm. and I just that, really, that's especially really hard though on that. the Gold Coast I mean where you are it's just people love cannabis up there so <laughs> 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 we, we just gotta call I mean, that. yeah <laughs> people do like it but um yeah I guess Shout out to all our listeners on the Gold Coast. <laughs> <laughs> they can't hear you. They're too stoked. Um, speaking of which, uh, speaking of which, people not really understanding um, that it, it even helps with the most basic of things like, as pain, if you're in the cannabis industry and you understand that. Um, it might be good to kind of just uh, finish off talking about a few of the the niches that maybe people aren't aware that cannabis helps with beyond your your top three, which is, you know, um, pain, anxiety, and sleep. Um, mm. I did note that you spoke briefly about uh, endometriosis, female reproductive health, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Is there anything you, any insights you can share on that particular enclave? <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I ideally would love to see a vision where we do have like specialists who can, that triangle we were speaking about before, you know, really understanding the different types, the different methods of administration, the pathophys of a specific condition and the complexities of it, because a lot of these conditions are quite complex. Having like a one person or like multiple people, specialists that you can go to who actually incorporate cannabis into that, like I would love to see that, like having almost like a specialist cannabis person for everything if that makes sense um <laughs> and uh, then you, mean, I think, you mean a doctor <laughs> yeah but like specializing because at the moment we've got a lot of doctors that are sort of like oh like we're lucky to have a few but they're generally like you know general practices or something like have we ever met an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in cannabis who can prescribe post-operative cannabis you know do we have a gynecologist who specializes in endometriosis and really knows how to prescribe cannabis like seeing more of that more often I think we'll have because again those patients who have tried a lot of things and are at wit's end they they usually end up with a specialist so Mm -hmm. being able to see specialists trained in that and having almost like consultants as well I think consultancy would be a really exciting sort of thing for the space as well even 
going out to companies and sort of educating them on how to, you know, have a really decent ethical company. Like I yeah. think that's so important. What, what is like, a decent ethical company? What does that look like? <laughs> patient focused yeah. and like not so concerned about money, to be honest. Yeah. Like no, that's that... at the end of the day, like I think, yeah, I I think that money does complicate a lot of things. And it sure does. I think that if we get back to the basics in terms of what we're actually here for and that's to help people and to help people in that pain and to yeah, to educate. I... I, I think it just gets too messy with everything else. I was thinking as you were describing that, like imagine if every hospital, for example, I mean, you've done the rounds at, at hospitals. If, if there was just mm. like a resident cannabis doctor, 100%. you know, come out of surgery. Yeah, mate, all went well. We took out your appendix. Here's a mighty medic. Go for it. Like it's. <laughs> Here's an oil. <laughs> Here's an oil, Andrew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and maybe a mighty medic if you've got breakthrough. <laughs> <laughs> so you put the oil in the mighty medic <laughs> but no there's a lot of patients even you know sorry we're probably over time but there's a lot of patients who will get admitted to hospital and they will call us and the doctors have had no idea how to write up their medicinal cannabis and they've pumped them back on opioids and they've never they've just spent five years getting off those opioids and now they're back on them heavily and they don't want to be on them they're making them sick and things like that Shout out to um, Deb Ranson, <laughs> nurse of my heart. She would always call the hospitals and have a good chat with them. And she said, right. that's the thing. Like we need people like that who yeah, advocate totally. for that so that we can see that change. And I think that unless, yeah, we keep quiet. I, I love it when medical yeah. professionals yell at other medical professionals. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite things. Sometimes it needs to be done. But um, <laughs> yeah, just it's going to make it more mainstream. And just again, working on the education, hopefully we'll get there one day. Fingers crossed. Yeah, well, that's a, a good note to a good optimistic note to um to wrap <laughs> up on. Um, yeah. yeah, and I could very much see you in that role, actually, just kind of the red just going and yelling at people, <laughs> going and yelling at people, and like just advising everyone on. No, this is what this person. It's is. usually me on the weekends. Everyone's just like, oh my god, don't get it started, and I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. because don't start me, so stop. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, thank you so much. Great to to grab your insights. Um, yeah, love the work that you and and you're currently doing with um with Ananda. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll cross paths at some point and maybe do another okay. one of these at some point. Love the passion. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thank you. All about thank that. You. I appreciate it. Sometimes it's a bit much, but I'll try to like <laughs> keep it some more level. <laughs> That's right. As long as you're yelling at somebody else, I, I love the passion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or if you yell, like yell nicely. Like, okay. <laughs> controlled way <laughs> um, but no it is definitely it comes with the passion for sure so no uh, we're here for it well yeah, yeah until next time we'll um yeah. Yeah, take care okay thanks guys thanks, thanks bye. bye hey guys andrew dowling here and mitch kurtz thanks for joining us for another episode of the ultimate podcast make sure to hit like and subscribe because we've got heaps more content coming out and it's really fun and great and we love it all also very good <laughs>